What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Saul of Tarsus said, and you may know him better as the Apostle Paul, uh, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciple after themselves. That's Acts 20, verse 28 through 30. And did the Apostle Paul know he was speaking about the Southern Baptist Convention? <laughs> we will discuss. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And this is the show where, yeah, every week we do our best to wade through this, uh, awful secular world that we find ourselves in not entirely awful but it seems to be increasingly awful and try to figure out how we can live a life that's pleasing to god so that's what we're going to do today just like every saturday and today we're going to be discussing really the two big stories in the news this week um, the first one obviously being the school shooting in texas and the second one being the investigative report that was released uh, about the findings of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. And we're going to be foregoing our Bible topic of the week as we would normally do, just because these stories, you know, they really tie into a biblical topic and they just, they take up a lot of time. So we don't want this to be longer than they normally <laughs> seem to be. So we're just yeah. going to stick to these two stories today. But before we get to all of that, is there anything you would like to say? Uh, yeah, thanks for praying. If you were praying for Spencer's mom for her drive back to New Mexico, uh, we had a really good time visiting with her and so did the kids. Yeah, great time. And went by too fast. <laughs> but she had stopped. Um, on her way out here, she had stopped in the city that my great aunt lives in. And so we set up for her to go stay there again, but uh, actually meet my great aunt this time. So she's heard a lot about her. And so she was really glad to meet her and they had a good time of fellowship. And um, she's just kind of that. It's, it's my aunt Ruthie, my great aunt Ruthie. <laughs> um, she's just that like spiritual pillar of the family. 
And so I've talked about her a lot with mother-in-law, mom. So it was really neat the two of them got to meet. Mom is like spiritual pillar in his family. <laughs> yeah. So that was really neat. So thank you for your prayers for her safe travels back home. Yep. She made it home safely. So we appreciate that. And it was nice that they got to meet each other, talk about God, because that's all they ever talk about. <laughs> so that's good. Um, any other prayer requests, praise reports? If you pray for our friend Tommy, um, he is very nearly coming to the end of his Air Force career and getting ready to step out as a civilian, which is always unsettling when you've been in the military for more than a decade. So just pray for them. They're believers. Pray that God's hand would be on him and you know he wouldn't be nervous or stressed out or anything of that sort. He's got a wonderful wife, two wonderful boys. So just keep them in your prayers. Sure they'd appreciate it. And as always, um, we just want to share with you guys Cardinal, uh, Team Cardinal, Cardinal Contingency Solutions. Um, they can handle, they can help you really with pretty much anything you got going on. Like I talked about last week, one of the big things I've been hitting on recently is sort of counter exploitation, exploitation, how you can handle that for your church, your business, um, school. your school. I mean, active shooter type situations, um, all that sort of stuff. Wonderful company. They can help you out in a thousand different ways. So just reach out to them. You know, if you've got stuff, like I mentioned, the exploitation messaging, how to message properly, how to deal with counter messaging, active shooter. I mean, there's so many different areas in this crazy world that we live in. And Cardinal Contingency Solutions can certainly help you put together a good plan, whether that's your business, your church, whatever it happens. So they will be in the show notes as always. Reach out to them. And then, as always, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. So we want to give them a plug as well. And I actually had one of the other members on here from, I don't think I have it pulled up here, Street Talk Theology. Reach out to me right here, Pastor Dominic on Facebook. He's like, hey man, just uh, found you on Facebook. He's like, I'm part of the community too. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to say, I listened to your episode, appreciate it. So it's a nice little small knit community of 50 to 60 people podcasters, all Christians from all different walks of life. Um, I had it pulled up on here. I mean, you can find anything from Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic all the way down to, you know, talking about Bitcoin, <laughs> cryptocurrency, finance from a Christian perspective, and everything in between. So there's something on there that I'm certain you'll enjoy. Links are in the show notes. Go give them a listen, give them a like, a review, all those things that podcasters like. And consider giving us a review, a like, a follow, and all the things we as podcasters like. So, all right. Take a breath. Prepare yourself. Pause the show for a minute if you have to and say a prayer as we begin our trek through the valley of the shadow of death with our look at the news of the week. So... Obviously, the big story all across the country this week um, was really the seemingly senseless and heinous school shooting that took place at Robb Elementary, and I believe it's called Valde, Texas. I could. Be I was wondering. I was going to ask you how to pronounce that. <laughs> I'm going to say Valde. If I'm wrong, forgive me. Um, 
But if you want to just read through this paragraph right here. Mm -hmm. The shooter was identified as 18-year-old Salvador Romas, a high school student. Police said that he shot his grandmother before trying to escape police and crashing his vehicle. He then allegedly ran into the school and fired at innocents. And then... Um, kind of reading these backwards a little bit, oh. but I think it flows better. <laughs> the uh, Texas law enforcement updated the death toll from the Uvalde shooting to 22, including 18 students, three teachers, and the suspect. Yep, so I'm certain you guys have heard of that to this point. Um, you know, mass shootings, really a shooting that kills somebody is awful. Mass shootings are even more awful, but it just somehow seems to take it up another notch when it involves children, um, which this one seems to. I think it was a, a K through fourth grade elementary school. So all very young children. And there's not a lot of information that I've read, you know, about this kid, you know, about why this all happened. Um, I don't know what I was, I was just going to say when I was listening yesterday, uh, the other day I was cleaning the ladies, this lady's house and she had just had the news on the whole time I was there cleaning. She had it like blaring. So we got to hear like four hours of the same, same thing. But it seemed like the message was like they were trying to, like, make him, like, a victim. Like, they were taking it to, like, the anti-bullying campaign again. I know yeah, they didn't say that. that, but I was like, I feel like it's going to go there. Because I was like, why are they making him sound like a victim? And then just bringing up, like, compassion and love is the answer. If we just treat people kinder, like, blaming ourselves instead of just, like, it isn't, you can't point the finger at everybody else. Like people are responsible for their own wrongdoings. Right. And I mean, we all are, you know, subject to the, the world around us and that influences us to a certain degree. But yeah, I mean, yeah. to something to this extent, this is not, you know, a, a lot of people are bullied. Well, they said a that truly he evil was person to enact right. something like this. So like, a lot of people are bullied like really bad and don't take it to this level. Like, thank God that it doesn't. But they were saying things like he had a, a stutter and he got made fun of for a stutter growing up. And I don't know, just little things like kids make fun of each other for any little reason. Yeah. And we, you know, I'm certain that there are things that led him in some way to being who he wound up being. But yeah, I mean, ultimately trying to put this on anybody else, um, mm -hmm. you know, is just, I think, yeah, you're just shifting the blame, really. I mean, that's why we got Jeremiah 17, 9 up here on the wall. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's wicked. Um, and this is just, I mean, it's really, when you get down to it, it's wickedness in a kid's heart. And it's awful that it played out this way, but... Yeah, I mean, bullying, sure. Did it have something to do with it? Probably, maybe, guess. I mean, people overeat because they get bullied. They do a lot of different things, but take it to this level and then be like, well, he was bullied. Then nah, you could blame. That doesn't really hold people up. People could have that as an excuse for every wrong behavior in their life. Like, like you said, like overeating. People wouldn't be obese if they weren't bullied as a kid. 
Yeah, so <laughs> it does go on and give some of the details. Um, it says, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, right here. I got this article from CNN. As always, this stuff will be down in the show notes. And we're going to do our best to try and flow logically through these stories. But, you know, we, we were actually going to take this show in a different direction. And then there was just so much from these two stories. So if we're a little scatterbrained, forgive us. We're trying to follow logically here, but it's an illogical story. So how do you follow it logically? Um, but this one here from CNN, it says... The gunman allegedly texted a girl who lives in Germany about his intentions just before he shot his grandmother in her home and left for the school in his pickup. But the grandmother is alive. I don't understand. She shot in her face, but she's still alive. Yeah. I guess so, she's recovering. I haven't heard that she's. Yeah, I did. I didn't hear much about her recovery, but she did survive. But she hasn't spoken yet. They haven't had a chance to like interview her. I imagine I would not imagine be. Not. Wanting to talk if but I just where got in shot her in the face? Head. <laughs> I mean, was it like? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh my goodness! Um, it does go on to say here, according to screenshots reviewed by CNN, and an interview with a 15-year-old girl who I guess he was texting in Germany, who said she had been in contact with the government for weeks. Salvador Ramos complained about his grandmother being on the phone with AT&T about my phone. He said mm. it's annoying, and then he mm. said. Or six minutes later, he texted, I just shot my grandmother in her head. In her Seconds head. after that, he said, I'm going to go shoot up an elementary school right now. So, yeah, I mean, bullying, sure, maybe. Uh, a grandmother who was going to maybe take his phone away, I don't know. Sure. This is a level of sickness and evil and depravity that is uncommon even amongst sick evil depraved humans um so to try to shift this to anything outside of um this kid being a child of satan um uh, i think is a stretch not to say and we're going to get into this a little bit as to you know why we may get to this situation but this is his evil that mm -hmm. he committed so i wouldn't be overly beating up somebody like a classmate being like did you tell him that he had a stutter well you might as well have killed the kids yourself like no that's uncalled for that's not accurate i don't believe um and then just some other uh little tidbits from this story that i read that i just wanted to highlight a little bit because i sure if people read them you know they might have their their own takes on. So I just want to give my take on it. So this first one um, from the Associated Press, I got it from Yahoo News, but it says uh, the Associated Press reported late Wednesday night that the police outside this or the police waited outside the school for at least 40 minutes while parents and onlookers urged them to do something. And stuff has been coming out about this, you know, the police waiting longer than the parents would have wanted them to to mm -hmm. rush into the school building. And obviously it's longer than I would have wanted them to wait to rush into a school, school building, but uh, I don't really have oh. a big complaint about this right now. Yeah, I was gonna say, did they know, like, I don't know what information they had at that point. Did they know it was just one shooter? Did they, they don't know well, and what that's they're the walking thing. into exactly. They have protocols. They've got things that they have to make sure are in place because 
it's not just stopping the shooter, that's their job. It's also preventing further death. So if you just let a bunch of your police officers rush into a building that they're unaware of, or mm -hmm. they don't know what's behind the doors, you're potentially sending a bunch of officers in to get killed as well. Or you right. know, these parents out there saying, oh, we wanted to run in there too, but they were holding us back. Well, again, they don't want parents to run in there. It does seem like 40 minutes is a long time, though. It is. And again, certainly like, should have, you know, you hope it would happen faster next time. But again, I've never been in an active, or an active shooter situation like this where I'm the law enforcement that's called in to stop it. So I don't want to beat them up too bad. Um, so we'll have to see how this ultimately plays out. If this happens, what was it? There was like a school shooting last year or two years ago or something where like the security guard like never went into the school. I don't even remember that. There was some sort of, if you guys remember, you can let us know in the comments or reach out to us on social media. But one of these stories where like the school guard basically had, he was armed or whatever, but didn't go into the school at all with a shooter. Uh, this does not appear to be the case. It was more like they showed up and they just took a long time to get their ducks in a row before they went in. So that's sad. But again, you don't want to just rush into a situation unprepared to where, and especially letting other people in, like some of these parents were saying in that article, like, oh, we wanted to go in. Well, that causes a whole nother set of issues where who knows if one of them's armed. And now you're like, I don't know who the shooter is. That's true. You know, there's a yeah. bunch of stuff that cops are dealing with in that situation, I would imagine. So we'll have to see how this all plays out. And hopefully, you know, if there was any sort of, I don't know, uh, neglect or anything to that sort, I'm sure it'll be worked out. But still tend to give the cops the benefit of the doubt here yeah. when they're dealing with life and death situations. That takes a lot of prep time. And, you know, when you're just, sitting there on a whatever day this was monday and someone's like oh man there's a huge shooting at this school and like try to wrap your mind around that so definitely um worth looking into but yeah i'm not going to crush the cops for that just yet the next one that i wanted to touch on is from the mother so again i got this from um yahoo news and it says the mother of 18-year-old gunman accused of killing the elementary school kids this week told ABC News in an interview that her son was not a monster, but that he could be aggressive. That just bugs me. Just like he's not a monster after just realizing what he's done. Like, why are you defending him? I'm just thinking, like, how do you define someone who is a monster then? Like, what's worse than that? Like, yeah. you ever called someone a monster? Like, I can't think of anything worse than what he did. But she just reminds me of somebody who maybe put up with an abusive husband for too long, you know, convincing herself that he's just a, a little aggressive. So, I don't know. When people sweep actions aside and, and give them less harsh words like that, and it's just easier to put up with behavior than to nip it in the bud. And punish that behavior. I don't know how exactly he was brought up if, I mean, in the home, like parents around. You just yeah. don't know, but it's like you want someone to blame. Like she's not to blame. You can't just pin this on one person. You can't say, no. oh, it was the parents or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When I read it, obviously you're right. 
if this isn't a monster, what is? But again, maybe I'm just more sympathetic. I have to imagine if this is your child that you've raised for 18 years, it's probably really hard to come to grips with that your child did something like this. Yeah, she and might have just is, been saying it because she's like, the son I know wouldn't do this. He's not this. What's happened right, to my so son? Yeah. In her mind, again, she's wrong, right? He is a monster. There's almost nothing more monstrous than what he did. But again, if your child did something out of the blue that you didn't expect, um, like he, you know, in those text messages to that girl, I mean, it was almost like just out of nowhere, like, hey, you know, what's going on? Oh, I just shot my grandma in the head. And like, what are you talking about? And then, oh, I'm going to go shoot up. But like, it almost just came out of nowhere. So I imagine for the mother and, you know, you see this all, you know, a lot of times with other things that aren't this heinous, but parents that'll be like, or even just friends and coworkers and family that are like, no, that's not the guy we knew, or that's not right. how he was. He could be aggressive. He could be this and that, but he wasn't this, like, this isn't the kid I know. So I don't, again, this is just in the aftermath of your son doing something unspeakable. So mm. she's wrong. Not going to crush her for it though, because I don't know mm. how you get your head around that and sleep at night ever with knowing a child you raised did this. You know that people are pointing the finger at her. Like, oh yeah. I mean, like she's, and I would certainly point the finger a little bit, right? You've raised this child. Well, it's so said, again, if somebody's going to be to blame for how a kid turns out, um, it's going to be the parents in a large degree. Um, I remember right. there's a Paul Washer quote, and I'm going to probably butcher it, but and we don't know anything about these people's faith. I would assume they don't really have any. Um, at least the kid didn't. But there's a Paul Washer quote where he said, if you wanted something like you want to tell me about your faith, show me your family. And mm -hmm basically that like, yeah, cool. You can tell me you believe, but like, how does that reflect onto the ones closest to you, your family? Do they actually, are they living in faith? Are That's you teaching true. them and all this sort of stuff? So, um, I think if they were Christians, they probably asked that because the media would like to use that and say, see, Christians do cool things too. You know what I mean? Well, in our, it would have been brought up I'm what just, their faith is. I think a lot of Hispanics, aren't they mostly like Roman Catholic? Catholic. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they may be Catholic Maybe. of some sort. Who knows? But I, again, I just bring this up because these are news topics that are out there. The mother saying my son's not a monster. And you're like, yeah, he was. But again, I would pray for her. Yeah. Again, I don't know how your mind ever gets healed from something like this. I mean, there's parents that their kids have gotten, you know, drunk and killed somebody in a car crash that never seemed to be able to live that down. And that's nothing compared to this. So this is just makes me think like we are all outside like of God's hand holding us back. And I think Paul Washer may have said something to this effect too. It's where I got it from. We're all just as capable of going this far in our wickedness. Yeah. And we can't even boast that we would never do it. Like if not for the hand of God holding back wickedness. Yeah. Mercy and him working in us. Like, so just. No, I mean, it's definitely a cautionary tale to look at and be like, oh, that's, that's how far humans can go. Um, yeah. And I'm human. I'm liable of evil and wickedness mm -hmm. as well. So it should draw us back to a place of repentance and um, worshiping of God for his 
wonderful, uh, loving compassion for us. Cause it's, uh, definitely something, I mean, you know, this isn't the first time we've ever heard this, so it's not uncommon amongst men to see this level of wickedness. And, uh, this story does go on to say, I just want to touch on this last little part. Uh, if I can find it here. Oh yeah, right here. It says some classmates told ABC that Ramos was known for fighting and threatening fellow students. They said he exhibited increasingly disturbing behavior over the past two years, threatening at least one classmate and stalking others, and that he claimed to have cut scars into his face. So Hmm. that's worth noting. This was not something. So again, it looks almost like it sprang out of nowhere. His classmates are saying, yeah, the dude's kind of been heading down this road. Well, you, Obviously, no one ever thinks it's going to go to this level, but right. that's always the problem too, right? Because you look back on these things, and we've all known people probably in our life to some extent that you're like, man, if something crazy went down with that guy, I might look back and be like, not completely unexpected, you know, but what's that point where you have that thought and that feeling and you act on it? Because I'm sure all these kids now are looking back being like, and I don't know if they ever called the cops on this dude or not, but like, man, we should have reported him to somebody. We should have said something. We should like have done something. How many people knew of all these weird things? Because he even says, um, well, the mom said she was uneasy about him sometimes. It'd be like, what are you doing? He's always suspicious. Yeah. What, are you, what was he doing? What, why was she uneasy? Like, they didn't go into that any further. Like, what did he do that made uneasy? His own mom was uneasy about whatever, whatever he was doing. I don't know. Yeah. Go further with it. Again, that's something, you know, they're going to need prayer about these school students, um, this family. Cause yeah, I mean, hindsight's 2020 and I'm sure they're all sitting there going, should have called somebody, you know, he did all these things, said all these things, you know, we should have seen the warning signs, but unfortunately even if Again, you see the warning signs, you don't know when something's going to happen. Like, you're probably not going to be able to stop someone when they, you don't know what they're planning. Right. And yeah, and we're all a little bit reluctant, especially if you know the person, you love them in some sense. And you're probably always like, no, no, no. Like, that's not really, like she said, he's not a monster. He's not, he's aggressive. It's fine, right? It's not worth calling the FBI on. He's just aggressive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's awful. Um, but my big takeaway from this is what really is not so much him in this shooting, because um, it's not going to be the last shooting. You know, we're going to hear about another one. Um, but this article here from CNN, find it, because it says so far there have been more mass shootings than days in 2022. Although I don't know necessarily how they get this number. Um, The article is linked here. I did try to go to this gun violence archive. Seemed a bit confusing. So I just moved on. But it says, including the racist attack attack at a Buffalo, New York grocery store a little over a week ago that left 10 dead. At least 213 mass shootings have been recorded this year as of Tuesday, the 144th day of the year, according to the gun violence archive. Um, So... That's how they got that number. I pulled up from Statista, and they have this basically showing that so far there was like three mass shootings, so a bit of a disparity there. But you can certainly see a increase. This goes back to 1982, and the 
very sharp increase in mass shootings in our country, um, which mm -hmm. happens to start right around 2006, 2008 timeframe. Seems to start climbing and climbing and climbing. Um, mm. And this isn't necessarily this shooter in particular, but I just think it's a lot of the increase in wickedness that we see, not just to this extent, but just on a personal level and the hatred and the malevolence that seems to be increasing in our world. And, you know, I just had the thought, and again, correct me if I'm off base, you guys, please keep us um, in our right minds. We'd appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the 24-hour news media and really social media. So again, you see that stat or that, um, that graph from Statista, 2007, 2008, 2009-ish, right, is when the iPhones released. And we have news media in our pocket, in our hands, 24 hours a day. And to me, I think that that is playing the largest role in the increase in violence and hatred in our country. You know, I think really our media and our political class have been pitting us against each other for years. You think? <laughs> I mean, they certainly are, right? And yeah, it's all for their it. gain. It's all for their power, yes. their profit. And then with 24-hour media and 24-hour social media, I think mm -hmm. it's just overwhelming our brains. Um, I, I think people are walking around frazzled. They're in a haze. They're delirious, essentially, because I don't think humans are made to consume this much information. Like no. we're consuming endless streams of information. We can't possibly understand it all, make sense of it all. So we're easily led around because they know that we, I mean, there's been tons of studies out there that people are just headline readers. They're just yeah. breezing through headlines, formulating opinions. Cause you can't possibly, you know, I was talking with our kids the other day about this, the idea of being an expert, right? Like it takes... I think the old, you know, rule is the 10,000 hour rule is what they always say. It takes 10,000 hours at something to become an expert. Um, maybe, sure, I don't know. But what I do know is it takes many, 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 many years through lots of study, trial and error, experience to become an expert in one thing. Um, so we're in a situation now where we're trying to like consume on a very amateur level a very amateur novice understanding of so many things, all this information on an expert level. Right. And it's not possible for us um, to sort of consume all this. And I think it's just too much. But then you pair all of that with the fact that, you know, so we're being overwhelmed 24 hours a day with news media that we can't handle. But then the fact that the people that are giving us this information, presenting it to us by and large, we're getting them from satanic people, um, anti-Christ in their very essence, our political class, our media class are mm -hmm. very much anti-Christ. So yeah. then it's no surprise to me that you see satanic displays of violence enacted across the country. Like that's what our brains are being like subjected to and frazzled and hatred and and then, you know, who's the ones that are glued to their phones the most, right? It's young kids who are the least capable to understand all of this stuff. They're the least aware of how they're being propagandized and indoctrinated to these certain things. And even those of us that may be older and think we're smart enough to figure it out, you're still being played. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not smarter than the devil. 
and his children that are endlessly bombarding us with all this vile 24 hours a day that we willingly subject ourselves to. So I think this has a large role. Again, nobody's guilty of the sin but the person that committed it. But there's a lot that goes into getting somebody to that point. And I think, I mean, I think this is a large contributor and it's not going to go away because they don't learn a lesson. The lesson they've learned is, oh, this works. I mean, Satan, we know he was a murderer from the beginning. So he's not sad about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this the, yeah, you got to think about it, like, who's running the media, why would they tell lies? Like everything is spiritual influence. You're either influenced by the Holy Spirit or the spirit of the world, Satan. Like he's the, you know, he rules the world in that sense. And we know yeah, God is sovereign, but. And we yeah. are, you know, we subject ourselves you know, to this stuff and it's willingly and like, you're going to be led one way or the other determined by like what you actually allow into yourself, Mm -hmm. what you read and study. And I would be stunned if 98% of this country wasn't far more, or wasn't consuming far more media, social media than the word of God. Um, I'm sure it's not even close for most people outside of a few fringe people, you know, mm-hmm. but so, you know, we're willingly consuming all this stuff. And to think that we can just swallow down, you know, Satan's bile 24 hours a day, and then just somehow not be given yeah. to hatred and anger and violence. And, and then, yeah, if you're actually born, maybe this kid, he is aggressive naturally. He is violent naturally. So yeah, you're naturally violent and then you're being poked and prodded 24 hours a day by social media and the mainstream media and all this stuff where you just snap. And again, it does fuel nobody's hatred. fault but his, but there's a lot that leads you down this path. So, um, and then just something else kind of watching the news about this, you know, you've heard from all the politicians, the celebrities, and I think how you react to these sort of stories first, I think says a lot about you as a person um, and what your mindset is, you know, and we've seen all this with the politicians. And if your first thought right away goes to gun control, oh, there's a mass shooting gun control. I think you have a debased mind. Um, I think you're a political animal more so than a human. Cause I don't think that that should be your first thought is how can I spin this for myself? But that's what we've seen. Right. Right. If it's, oh, it's gun control, you know, it's the borders. It's, if you're getting a political answer to how to solve this, you're not getting the exactly. right answer. Everything is spiritual. Those with spiritual eyes to see, like. Yeah. Because there's no possible way that it can be the gun. Like, that's a nonsensical argument. We've literally had guns since our nation was founded. Um, and it can't even be the assault rifle. Because the assault rifle, as far as I know, in my brief, you know, trying to rack my brain and look up really quickly, has been around in some form or fashion since the 1940s. And it can't be Trump's fault, because as we looked at that graph from Statista, these mass shootings were starting to climb in this nation long before Trump took office. So it can't be the gun. We've had them forever. They were starting before Trump took office, 
They've continued since Trump left office. So it can't just be that man. It's got to be something different. And like she said, it's it's a spiritual problem. You well, know? we're told like wickedness will increase days. Um, people will just be all about themselves and they will be disobedient parents, unloving, complete wicked. And that's yeah. that's it. This is scripture unfolding and, and said we can't fix it politically. No, there is no political There's solution no to this. Fixing. Yeah. You can't fix that. But scripture is being played out. So No, I think um and that's really, you know, I think when you're listening to this sort of stuff, if somebody doesn't offer up a biblical solution, a spiritual solution to this, they're not serious about solving the problem. Um or they're just they're not smart enough to know how to solve the problem, you know, because if you're going to get a politician up there talking about banning guns, they're not serious, right? They're trying to get their political power. Or make it, it just about mental health. But you brought up what um, yeah, scripture I mean, before. And it could very well I, be mental health, right? And I'm certain you don't do something like this if you're mentally stable. But the scriptures are clear that there are times and there are medical illnesses that are contributed to demonic influences. Jesus right. doesn't yeah. dispute this. So you can say, oh, it's mental health. And I would say, you're probably right, but it's probably a demonically influenced mental yes. health problem. And so if you're only going the mental health route, but you leave out the demonic influence in the spiritual nature, you're not actually trying to solve the problem. Yeah, because there's um, spirits of infirmity. And then when Jesus cast out the evil spirit from that boy, um, they would like have seizures or the spirit would try to throw him into fire or in the water to kill the boy. But didn't Jesus call him a deaf and dumb spirit? Was that the one? Yeah. Yeah. So he knew the name of it by knowing like what it's doing to the boy. Right. And we know who was it? The the demon-possessed man at the tombs, right, that they would chain up and he'd break the chains and no one could get close to him because he was violent and and that was demonic. It, they were cast out of him. And right. Jesus sent him back peacefully into his town. So we know that those exist. So again, if you have people offering up solutions and it doesn't include a spiritual solution, and that's the problem too, because the more our nation slides away from God and we're losing our biblical founding or foundation Year after year, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And the more you lose it, the more these are going to increase. So we're going to be continuing to see these increases. Yeah. And they're going to have people in places of power that are less capable of solving them because they don't even have a biblical worldview. Our political leaders today, by and large, they don't have a, a biblical worldview. They're, they're anti-Christ in their thought. They're mm -hmm. anti-Christ in their actions. They are incapable of solving this. Um, and we're not necessarily capable of solving it either, you know, because we don't really have any big solutions that are all that new and innovative. Um, we just want you guys focused on it the right way and to not get caught up in all the hatred and division. Like you right. focused on the wrong thing about it. And that's our solution. Um, the only really one, I mean, outside of getting in the word of God, shoring up your own spirit leading your own family in the way they should go. Absolutely, that's the first step. But after that, you've got to, in my opinion, unplug yourself. Um, we have to become unplugged from this world. 
disconnect from these endless streams of information that are fed to us from satanic people. Because again, humans are not made, in my opinion, to consume this much. It makes us susceptible to all sorts of propaganda, indoctrination. Even when you think, well, those guys are influenced by propaganda. Yeah, you're being influenced too. Like people don't get paid millions and billions of dollars a year to propagandize you if they're not super, super good at it. Like you don't make a million dollars a year to yeah. be bad at propaganda. So I think we've got to unplug. Um, we've absolutely got to get our kids unplugged um, because there's no possible way they can handle what's being shoved in their face. I feel so sad. I was just, we were leaving a friend's house. Oh, sidebar praise report. Our friends, Kyle and Nicole got down here safely and we got to see them. Praise God for that. Yes. But we were driving home from his house and I saw this little kid. I mean, not little, he's probably 12 on a skateboard going down the street and he had a cell phone in his hand talking on his phone. And I was like, I feel sorry for that little kid. Like got his iPhone in his hand just free to do what he wishes on it. And I was like, man, there is so much danger in that little device that we still cannot even wrap our heads around. Letting them partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, it's just way worse. It's like- Yeah, you've literally given them uh, a phone that contains like all the evilness in the history of the world at their disposal to just peruse at their own speed. Yeah. That is dangerous. Um, yeah. I will. I didn't even pull this up here, but I'll make note of it because I saw it and you'll see it on the screen now. I'll put it up there. Um, if you have a young child who you want a cell phone for because you want to keep track of them and they are beneficial in some sense, I would encourage you to go look at this company called Wise Phone. Um, so you see them up on the screen right now. It's essentially a smartphone looking phone but it only allows text messaging, cell phone, or phone calls, and maps. That's all it's allowed. You can't even download apps to it. You can't do any of that. So that's something to consider. So they can use They can have a map to navigate. Okay, that's what I was wondering when you told me about it before. Okay. Yeah, we've been considering buying one for our kids because it's a endless battle of trying to lock down every piece of electronics in the house to keep them from doing that. So whatever, but there's an option for you. Go give it a look. We're not sponsored by them, but go give them a look. Um, so I think we need to unplug first and foremost, we've got to separate ourselves from this, you know, satanic stream. It's like Christ is the, the stream of living water. And then it's like the world we're in mm. is the stream of, you know, Satan's bile and we're just splashing around in Satan's bile and thinking that we're just pointing the finger at each other. (laughs) Yeah. He's in a deeper spot. Look at that guy. We need to get out of that stream, you know? Um, and I think Mm -hmm. we definitely, once we unplug, we've got to focus on what's local to us starting in our own house and then in our neighborhood, our community, because we hear all these messages of racism and sexism and violence and all these sorts of things. But I think like racism should only be a problem to the extent that you experience racism. That's what I think. Yeah. Sexism only to the extent that you, cause that's the way it always works, right? Even you see these athletes and they're like, Oh, NFL slavery. And you're like, how does your owner treat you? And they're like, Oh, my owner's great. And you're like, okay, then focus there. <laughs> You've got a good owner, right? Mm-hmm. 
Is your boss sexist? No, he's great and treats me well. Okay, fo- then don't worry about whatever is potentially yeah, in the world that you, you can't control. Yeah, they want you to control. think that all these issues affect you or that they're going to affect you and they leave you like not trusting anybody or paranoid and just making you, it's just ruining your relationships because you don't trust one another. It causes doubt. And I think it just ruins relationships. Oh, it's, it's like, killing relationships. Just, like even in everybody's the on guard all the time, it seems like. And yes, on guard. Or yeah. you're even like, I mean, how many times have you heard something where somebody might say something and it doesn't bother you, but in your mind, you're like, ooh, that might offend somebody. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that? <laughs> if it doesn't offend you, then who cares, right? But you'll hear something and be like, I don't care about that joke, but somebody may. No, who cares if it doesn't affect you? And I think that's the mindset we got to go to, right? Like if you're a white dude in a black neighborhood and you've got great neighbors all around you that you get along with, cool. If you're a black guy in a white neighborhood and they're all friendly, good. There you go. That's your racism. Like, let that be your experience that guides you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's not not as big of a problem as what they want you to believe. The racism, sexism, these things exist really in two realms. And it's government offices and media. Mm -hmm. And they propagate it and they spin people up. And it's not to say that it doesn't exist. We just... Obviously, the school shootings, that's violence. It exists, but odds are very strong. You're never going to experience that in your life. Um, So I think that's something we got to focus on. Unplug and then focus on locally. What is actually affecting you? Let that guide your experience in this world. Um, Because you can control how your neighbors view you. You can't control how whatever, a hillbilly in the hills of west virginia and you live in you know seattle you can't control what he thinks about you who cares but you can control what your neighbors think about you you can control what your family and your boss thinks about you yeah let that be what guides you and makes you know what you focus on on your day-to-day life yeah you can change their mind and convince them that this is all propaganda too yeah you know they're not going to believe it Because you can tell them that, oh man, can you believe, you know, women are being taken advantage of at work? And you can be like, are you being taken advantage of? Well, no, I got a great boss here and he treats us well. Okay, well then focus on that. And if you are being taken advantage of, let's go talk to the boss. Let's figure this out, right? Like, and then secondly, this is just a bigger picture. Don't even know if it really pertains to this kid, but I think it pertains to this country um, as a whole. And that was just that we need, um, fathers in the homes that are spiritual leaders and heads of homes. Um, women can't do it. It's not what they were designed to do. Um, God bless single mothers that are forced to do it. I was raised in a home of largely a single mom. I did have a dad around when he was there and he provided and offered guidance, but for the most part, you know, and I did have a stepdad and stuff, but you know, my mom raised us a lot, but that's not what they're designed to do, right? The nuclear family with a male head of household that believes, I think the number that I saw last was if a father is a believer, there's a 93% chance that the household will be believers. Mm-hmm. Whereas if the mother is a believer, it's only like a 17% chance. I think it helps a lot. I mean, 
I know you want to say just like single moms, but it makes a difference when those moms are Christians. Oh, it makes and a huge difference. Yeah, God is going to move through their prayers. Like your mom, I mean, you know, a lot of people who are single moms, but but yeah, God, I mean, it can their definitely children work. turn out. And it's decent. not that every kid that grew up in a single mother household <laughs> yeah. is a, you know, is crazy or bad, but that's not the design. Well, Vody, he always brings up his. <laughs> it's not the design though. Like how much better of a family is that if it's husband and wife, they're both believers going to church because dads are the wardens. I mean, I've made that joke to Nikki. That's my main job here is to be a warden. Just walk around and correct the kids the 87 times a day. But Nikki's job is to love them, right? And to, you know, be a mom, right? You need both of those roles. So this is just kind of off the top rope. Dads need to be dads in the homes. They need to be spiritual leaders. And um, I think a lot of this violence, a lot of these, um, you know, young kids that are acting out wouldn't happen because they would have been corrected from an earlier age and they would have been led in a much more. They've had no guidance. Yeah. No guidance. Because, I mean, even if you're a single dad, you can't possibly work a full-time job, take care of a house, all these things, and be completely involved in your child's life. That's why women are best to be home wives. That's where your number one calling, right, is to raise your family. Doesn't mean you can't work and do whatever, but your number one calling in life is to raise that family. Yeah. And if you're never in the home, you're not going to do it as good as you possibly could. So um, just no hope for man apart from God. Um, no. And I get this verse up here. Um, there's no hope for man apart from God because thus, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. That's Jeremiah 17.5. Then in Jeremiah 17.7 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Yeah. You're cursed if you trust in man. Mm-hmm. You're blessed if you trust in the Lord. So with that thought, right, the atheist, you know, the antichrist media member, antichrist politician that we have, like they can't even tell you why this was wrong. You know, they can tell you why they didn't like it, but they don't believe in objective truth. They don't believe in a divine Mm -hmm. lawgiver. So how can they tell you really outside of, I don't like this, that it was wrong? You know, so we have to stop looking to them for our answers. They got us into this mess that we're in, um, in some regards, in large regards, and some of them quite literally, right? The Mitch McConnell's, the Nancy Pelosi's. They've been in Washington steering this country into a ditch for 30 years. They can't possibly solve these problems. They created them. You know, electing Joe Biden as president didn't solve these problems. It's only increased. Um, So he can't solve these problems. Again, he's been there for 50 years. He steered the country into the ditch. And for that matter, Donald Trump can't solve these problems. God alone turns a man's heart. Turns them from death to life. No politician is going to do that. So our appeals need to be made to God. And really any politician, again, that we talked about this earlier, if they don't realize that, if the politician isn't talking about a spiritual renewal and awakening in this country, get them out of of that office. They shouldn't be serving this nation um, because they don't know how to fix problems. 
really. They know how to make political moves. They don't know how to solve problems because right. we're living. We don't, we don't trust in man, but we trust in someone who trusts God because we know God will bless our nation, that that leader will be asking God for wisdom. So our trust isn't yeah. in that person, but only in God. No, and it's really the, it's really maybe not something you would expect, but if you can even convince your atheistic, um, secular friends and colleagues, when the nation is ruled by secular and atheistic men and women, everybody suffers. When it's ruled and led by godly men and women, everybody is blessed. Mm -hmm. Even the atheist is blessed in a Christian nation. So we're seeing what a nation looks like when we're led and ruled by anti-Christ people, and we've all suffered. So why continue down this path when it's only going to bring more pain and suffering? And our hope isn't in like like a leader that's going to come and fix everything. Like we adhere to the constitution. Right. He comes in and gets out of our way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's not like our hope is ever in a person stepping in. And I know a lot of people argue, you know, they try to make like the biblical connection, like the people wanted a king. They're saying America's like that. But I'm like, no, we don't want a king to rule over us. Constitution. And they adhere to it. Like there's a difference. I just want to like... No, it's a big Point difference. that out. Like, it's okay to vote for a godly person. Yeah, it's okay to vote for a godly person and then also expect them not to fix everything for you, just to leave you <laughs> to solve things on a local level like the country was designed. Yes. So um, do you have any last thoughts about that story before we move on to our next story? Um, I was just going to say, I did sound really stupid saying I wondered if the grandma has said anything if she got shot in the face. I tried to say that. But I was, I was like, like I well, maybe she got grazed or something. Like, I know her, I mean, like, her face is like blown out. Obviously, she's not, how is she alive? You know, I'm thinking she's alive. So maybe it hit her somewhere where it's not that serious. Maybe she's conscious. I don't know. Yeah. But I just wanted to let you know, like, I realize if it was that bad, she's not talking. So <laughs> I would be making noise, but I would just be screaming myself hoarse. <laughs> she could just got grazed. She, he said, shot her in the head. Something up. Graze me in somewhere the head else with a bullet, it says, shot in the face. I mean, people survive being Maybe shot, shot in the face. Maybe shot her in the ear. That's her head. That's something to know. <laughs> Don't f- be fooled that like an action movie is real, that you get shot in the stomach and you die. Well, we know someone who got sh- grazed you know talking about (laughs) i do talking about his grandmother i'm just kidding Uh, all right moving on so all right so the next story and this is a really big story in the realm of christianity and it really sort of affects us all um even if you aren't a southern baptist um because it really gives all of sort of american christianity a black eye i think and that's this story Mm. from uh what happened, the, kind of the fallout with the Southern Baptist Convention? So do you want to read that headline? Um, Southern Baptist Church leaders minimized sex abuse, lied to congregants for years. Report finds. Not good. And just, uh, yeah, do you want to read that? 
Leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention covered up complaints of sexual abuse, steadfastly resisted calls for reform made by survivors, and lied about their ability to keep track of alleged abusers for nearly two decades, a bombshell report from independent investigators released Sunday found. Yep, and then there was one more that I wanted to read if I can find it. Yeah, this paragraph right here. This report of abuse and many others were known to the executive committee, but were not shared with executive committee trustees, the report said. At least one executive committee staff member maintained a list of accused ministers in Baptist churches, including the minister's names, year-reported, relevant news articles, state and denomination, but nothing was ever done with that information. Yeah, not good. Um, doesn't Holding on look to good. that for 20 years. <laughs> yep. So that's what the uh, the report said. So we're going to dive into the report here in a second, but I just wanted to cover ever so briefly just what the Southern Baptist Convention is, because most people may not even really understand what it is or why it is necessarily. Um, so I just went to their website just to grab their little uh, slogan, and it says the Southern Baptist Convention is a collection of like-minded churches working in cooperation with one another to impact the whole world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's what their hope is. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Baptist group um, and the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. It currently um, claims to have about 14 million members that are technically part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And then according to the Religious Congregation's membership study, um, again, it says they had 14 million members in 47,500-ish churches as of 2020, um, just in the United States. So really big congregation or convention of churches um, sort of joined together for kind of a singular purpose there to spread the gospel. And interestingly, as I was looking this up, uh, the number of churches sort of grew substantially, but the membership is declining pretty substantially. So there's been roughly 6,000 new churches planted in America that are Southern Baptist Convention while they've that, lost 2 million members. I was thinking, is that like with all the churches popping up that just do sermons on a screen, the lead pastor isn't there? It has something to do with that, I probably. I that's probably a large, I mean, there's probably certain, yeah, like those sort of, uh, what are they called? It's like sister churches. Or yeah, or satellite churches satellite. where... Yeah, there'll be kind of campus churches of a bigger I church. I'm that sure that's has a to be a, part of it. Yeah. But still, so 6,000 new churches while losing 2,000 members. It's just odd. Maybe people don't like that kind. They've gone for a little bit and then we're like, we want church where we see our pastor face to face. Or maybe people who shouldn't be pastors are just starting churches because they want to be pastors. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, uh, it says the Southern Baptist Convention was formed on May 8th through the 12th of 1845, so it's quite old, in Augusta, Georgia, um, and its first president was William Johnson. So uh, there are, I'm sure, many issues that sort of led to the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention. Among one of those was slavery, uh, though from what I've looked up, both the Northern and Southern Baptist um, Churches were technically neutral on slavery, um, is what I've, I've read. The South believed that the North wasn't neutral. They believed that the North was more abolitionist, 
in the South didn't want to be abolitionist. So by virtue, they were more pro-slavery than the North. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that led to them starting their own convention. Um, but they also had different denominational organizations. Um, it says that the North Baptists sort of preferred a loosely structured society, kind of composed of individuals who paid annual dues with each society, usually focused on a single ministry, while the Southern churches preferred an organization composed of churches patterned after their association with a variety of ministries brought under the direction of one denominational organization. So that's kind of what the Southern Baptist Convention does. It doesn't actually like force any of these churches to do or believe anything necessarily. They do have sort of like the Baptist um, statement of faith and message, I think is what it's called. Churches don't have to necessarily adhere to that wholesale. Um, I know we've gone to churches. You wouldn't even like. We've been to Southern Baptist know. Convention churches. Yeah, but we didn't know while going there, like that one in Arkansas at first. Yeah. I didn't. I don't think I realized because it doesn't have the word Baptist in the. Well, and name I don't know how church. much the SBC sort of exists also to sort of help plant churches, and so maybe a lot of churches sign up under the SBC sort of umbrella because it yeah. gives them support, and maybe some financial right. support to sort of get things rolling. Um, so this isn't something just against the churches. This is about the convention. No. And this is, itself. yeah, I think this report sort of makes clear that this is a issue with the sort of leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention, not the churches necessarily. Right. Uh, right. Although there does seem to be some churches that are at fault, sort of willingly bringing on pastors they should have but otherwise I think other known churches. Not to do the same thing. Anybody that's getting caught up in church being a business, you know, yeah. I think there's people like that. No, in they're every certainly church. not. I mean, they're all human. They're all sinful. Right. Right. We're all liable to make dumb decisions, I know, sinful just decisions. People can say, Oh, it's one of those churches associated with the Southern Baptist convention. You stay away from those. That's not what we mean. That's not no, what this, this is saying at all. On an individual church level, like you said, there's churches you may not even know that are involved in the Southern Baptist Convention, and they may be completely unaffected by this. This is a executive committee, so like the highest level of sort of overseer of the Southern Baptist Convention level, mm -hmm. where they were um, negligent in discharging their duties, really. So the, the document right here, it's a 300-page document, the investigation report. We did not read through all of it. Though we love you guys, this was a lot to read through. We did skim <laughs> through it and find stuff that we thought were interesting, and we'll bring that to you. But according to this report, um, it was commissioned with the goal of investigating the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee's response to sexual abuse allegations. So again, not all of Southern Baptist churches and church members, just the Executive Committee's response to sexual abuse allegations. and an audit of the procedures and actions of the credentials committee. So this was a very narrow sort of investigation focused really just on that executive committee. Um, and I want to make that point clear. Um, and do you want to read this? Um, the first sort of paragraph here of the executive summary. 
Yeah, it says, for almost two decades, survivors of abuse and other concerned Southern Baptists have uh, been contacting the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee to report child molesters and other abusers who were in the pulpit or employed as church staff. They made phone calls, mailed letters, sent emails, appeared at SBC and EC meetings, held rallies, and contacted the press, only to be met time and time again with resistance, stonewalling, and even outright hostility from some within the executive committee. Yep, so that's ultimately what this report says they found. Um, you can read it for yourself and make your own conclusions, but it was sort of spurned on from reports and other people prodding that, hey, this has been going on, we need to look into this, and finally they got... It sounds like a president, Ed Litton, Litton, I believe his name is, who decided to actually make some headway on this. Um, and you can see here, like I said, it's a 300-page document. So if you want to go through and read all about you know, the factual findings, the observations, you can go through and read all that sort of stuff. God bless you if you do. Um, we did not go that far. So like I said, we just pulled a few things that I thought was uh, interesting out of here. So the first thing that I wanted to highlight on page 134 down here, go and look if I can find it. It says, um, it says that the latest iteration, or so it says, One of the things that they were looking at to find, um, sorry, I'll kind of step back and cover this, was they were kind of, and I think we'll look at an article here pretty soon from Russell Moore where he says this that, you know, why weren't they keeping a list of these abusers so that they could keep track of them and know where they were going and make sure that they weren't actually like becoming pastors again at other churches? And one of the findings from this is they looked at it and they, um, the executive committee was saying, well, there's no possible way that we can legally track all these members. It's impossible. We can't do that. So this investigation goes and looks and finds out, oh no, they actually have been doing that for 20 years and they've just lied about it. Not impossible. It's not no. impossible. In fact, it's quite possible and they did it. Well, if they're saying it's impossible, they're implying there's so many or there's so much. Like well, they're implying they kind it's of way went worse than what it is legally right like oh well, we don't have the legal authority to do it but it says here that the latest iteration that they found in this report of the list contained 703 abusers with 409 believed to be sbc affiliated and then currently nine of those original 703 are still connected to ministry and two of those are still connected to an SBC church. So like are these people who are proven or is it just Well, I mean there's a report but it's not proven something really happened. I think they're proven as far as this report's concerned. I mean they're not behind bars. The so ones who are still in I don't know how far that proven goes, but I thought that was interesting because that was one of the main things they're saying, why don't we keep track of these people? And as you read through here, they give a couple of testimonials 
from some of the people that claim to be abused. And you can read through the, a lot of the testimonials are like, this guy, you know, sexually assaulted me here. I brought it up. They sort of shuffled him out the door and then he went to another church and he did, you know, maybe one or two other churches, multiple churches. So they're saying, why didn't you keep track of these people to prevent this from happening? The executive committee or committee was like, ah, well, it's impossible for us to do that. And then they find out, oh, no, in fact, you were doing that, but you were doing it to protect yourself, not to protect the churches and the mm -hmm. congregants. So that's certainly a really bad look for the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, yeah. Not going to sort of sugarcoat that there. Um, I don't think there's a way you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the next point that I, I thought was interesting, I pulled up just one of the um, one of the testimonials here. They give a lot of testimonials. But down here on page 143 or 138, um, yeah, 138, it really starts getting into the testimonials. So you can see here from 2006, this fella named Dave Pittman. But the one I thought was interesting was on 143. And it says down here, um, do you want to read this part down to there? During her senior year of high school, Jules Woodson was sexually abused by her youth pastor. Though she disclosed her abuse to her local church, she was told not to tell anyone, and her youth pastor was allowed to leave to go to another church. He was given a, a going-away party. Almost 20 years later, in 2017, Miss Woodson shared her story publicly. At that time, her abuser was a pastor in a Southern Baptist megachurch. He issued an apology in a live stream church service calling the abuse a sexual incident. He received a standing ovation and he eventually resigned. His current church knew about the abuse when they made the decision to hire him. Yeah, that's not wow. great. Um, so two things stood out to me about this, um, this testimonial. First off, with this report. They name names throughout the entirety of this report. Um, they blast everybody, the pastors, the small time pastors, really, they blast them. Mm. And, um, but with this pastor, they don't, which I think is interesting because he's a Southern Baptist mega church pastor. Huh. So I thought, why do, why does this report seem to, have no bones about blasting all these less, like if you go right up here, just the story right before it, uh, Miss, uh, where's this guy? Dr. Floyd is someone she met with. Um, the pastor up here was, you know, they give names throughout all of these about the specific pastors that did people wrong. But then down here with the megachurch pastor, they're like, eh, you know, it was just this megachurch pastor. He's, he's still... Still preaching. Okay. Mm. Well, who was he? Because if I'm going to that church, I might. He's there. Is it to protect him? Because the it, other ones that they I'm brought assuming... up, are they, still, are they still in ministry? My initial thoughts, don't know. And maybe this report explains it. I don't know. We didn't read through the whole thing. I'm assuming it's probably a legal thing. Maybe if it's a maybe. mega church, they might have a legal team. Where if they're like, hey, man, if you start coming after us, we're about to come after you. So... Which is, again, a bit of irony when they're talking about we're 
coming after the executive committee because they kept this list to defend themselves legally. Yeah. And then they couch a name to defend themselves legally <laughs> while bashing someone maybe. else to do it. So, you know, maybe a bit of hypocrisy there, but who knows? The second point, the more interesting, um, I shouldn't say interesting, more upsetting point is why do congregants do this? Um, we've talked about this months and months, maybe a year or so ago in a town that we used to live in with a church that we had attended. Um, it was the largest church in our town. It considered a mega church. Um, and it was found out long after we left, but that the pastor there that the town loved and the church loved had been having a 14 year affair on his wife. His family sort of fell apart when it all came out. Um, but the people were like asking, well, why does he have to resign? If he's already repented, why can't he just stay being our pastor? Like, but the thing what? is, because it's a small town, you realize people knew about the affair. People in the church knew it had happened and kept it hush. Yeah. So like, it was even to protect just the church too. That, right. Even if you were blindsided by it. Yeah. Like the Bible is crystal clear on what kind of people are supposed to be leading churches. And there is no room for a lead pastor with a sexual assault, adulterous affair, rap sheet in their history, especially not a recent one. It's one thing if you're like, hey, man, years ago, I sexual assault. I did time in prison, found the Lord, came out. My life's been changed. Okay. Yeah. But not like different. I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years and just dove off the deep end of the sexual immorality, but I'm back. You're like, no. Well, this one wasn't part of the Southern Baptist Convention. No, No, I'm certain it wasn't. But just, it's more of that statement because it says in that story that, um, you know, he abused her and then he left to another church. And then once that was found out, he admitted to the sexual immorality, resigned, and then a church hired him on knowing about Mm -hmm. it. And yeah. why would a church hire on a pastor that they know has sexual immorality in his recent past? But you want to know what church hired yeah. him. Got to be careful. Like, don't go there. They That's what I mean. Why not tell us what church who is the it? pastor is, who the church is, so you can go, yo, like, what other kind of really bad decisions is this church leadership making? Exactly. Yeah. I'd be questioning, like, where's the money going for ministry? Like, missionary, I'd want to know everything. If you're talking yeah. about you're hiring a person like this in the church. Ooh. And again, not that there isn't repentance. Go be repentant. But I would say you don't repent of a sin and then dive into more sin by yeah. trying to be an unqualified pastor. Yeah. Like, you need to humble yourself and say... Yeah, I'm unqualified now. Because we'll read it for you guys again. We've read it before on here multiple times, but we'll read it again because the Bible is crystal clear on who is a church overseer. Um, So do you want to read, honey, 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7? Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert 
or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Yep. And uh, I don't know how if you are currently in the snare of the devil, you just get fired on. So that one really stuck out to me, maybe because we experienced something similar. Although, and we talked, Nikki even forgot about this. We had a pastor in uh, Alaska, Alaska when we were there, really liked him. He preached great, wound up getting exposed that he was um, taking some of the church's money and sort of utilizing it for himself, um, being unfaithful with the church's money. So the church, um, he resigned from the church sort of overnight. He just sort of ghosted the church. We never saw him. We never got a, I'm sorry, anything. He just left and then found out a couple months later, he was like pastoring a church in Arkansas. And we're like, I didn't know he was past. I did not know. Like I knew he resigned. I had no idea that he just started pastoring another church. And you wonder how prevalent this is, right? With sort of unqualified men leading your church. So it's dangerous. And I'm glad that that came out. Um, But since this sort of report started, you know, getting out into people's hands, there's been a lot of news stories coming out about it. Um, It's been sort of difficult for us to kind of keep on track with all the stuff that was coming out. Um, I did want to make note that um, Russell Moore chimed in on this on Christianity Today, which I think is interesting because he was the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at the Southern Baptist Convention, which does get tarnished a little bit. I don't know if they, because they do bring up that commission in the report, I believe, but I don't know that it's during Russell Moore's time there. Um, But it does look like if you go into this article that we have here from Christianity Today, and you can look up some of this stuff, some of the um, hyperlinks in here, it does look like, at least to Russell Moore's credit, I don't know how authentic or verifiable it is, that he was sort of looking for the executive committee and the presidents to address this issue as far back as 2019. So he's been really trying to get this brought to light. So kudos to him on that, I guess, mm-hmm. um, is so far as it's authentic. But he does say down here, um, for years, leaders in the executive committee set a database to prevent sexual predators from quietly moving from one church to another to a new set of victims had been thoroughly investigated and found to be legally impossible given Baptist church autonomy. My, fa- my mouth fell open when I read a documented proof in the report that these very people not only knew how to have a database, they already had one. Mm. So again, without excuse. Yeah, they literally had the document. They've been keeping up to date with it, but it wasn't to protect the flock. It was to protect um, the wolves in sheep clothing, I guess, that were wandering around the Southern Baptist churches. Um, So that's pretty damaging. And then um, another article we saw here is the Southern Baptist Convention is getting ready to release the list of pastors, the names. I don't know if that's going to be the full 703 or the 409 or what it is, um, but it says, oh, let's see if I can find. This is good. This is great that this is coming out, but 
Yeah, it says I can't gonna, find it in you here. You just wonder how many people are going to like shaken church. How many people yeah, and we hope not. Affect? Um, yeah, so it does say in here, you guys can find it, um, that they're going to be, they proposed immediately issuing a statement repudiating the divisive or dis dismissive stance EC leaders had taken towards victims in the past and making public a list of 700 alleged abusers that former leaders kept in secret. So sounds like they're going to be uh, releasing all 700. And that was kind of the thought that me and Nikki had was how are they going to release it? Because it does say on here that they, some of them were alleged abusers. Right. So again, I don't know how many of these people actually serve jail time were convicted are sex offenders or any of that or it was alleged and so you do wonder if they're just gonna like put this out on cnn that could be really uh -huh. ugly um but I then again you do want to know if these pastors are in your church yeah they at the very least need to own up to it and start talking what, you know, why don't we know about this? Well, it does make you wonder if you get a pastor, or especially a new youth pastor that just comes to your church, now you're going to be like, why is he here from another church? Like, did something happen? Like, it's going to make you be a little uneasy. And I don't know, maybe it's good. It's no. good to look into it. To, like, no, it's not definitely just good. Not question things. I think we should. I mean, I'm just... Pulling the verse Especially off the top of my head. Especially when it comes but I mean, to these young youth pastors. They're only a few years older than the teens and the youth, you know? Well, and I mean, the Bible says everything's going to be exposed, right? Like everything that's hidden will be exposed. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're talking about God, right? But why don't we just expose it now? Come clean, repent now. Even if it ruins whatever career you think you've had, you've already sullied that if these are true. So I'm okay with it coming out. I am just curious about how it comes out, how right? Because out. they may have children, these pastors. They may have spouses that yeah. don't know about it. And so that's a really hairy situation. Yeah, you don't want to get in the case of repaying evil with evil. Right. And not but that this is evil necessarily, but you got it's a touchy subject, right? You don't want to just toss somebody under the bus who's just an alleged abuser, and it may be untrue. So... But at the expense of like their soul, like right, their them being exposed, even if it ruins their their family with this being found out, like them being found out is going to be better for them eternally. It's going to hopefully their soul will be saved. Well, then maybe that's a way that they could do it. Like, I mean, I don't know if they already have this list; they know where these pastors are. They've been keeping track of them. Maybe it could be like, hey, man, we're releasing the list to your churches individually. Like, you're going to have a small window of time to seek repentance from your pastor in your congregation. Make this known. And if you don't, maybe then we blast it or something to that. I yeah, mean, I wonder how many of them are going to try to fight it, too, though. Well, like, and just yeah. say that that isn't true. And But one point I wanted points. to make on this... Sorry, I didn't I'll just say the mega church oh, yeah, pastors maybe. are going to get lawyers and fight it. You're that really good uh, youth minister, or, you know, music minister. Right. The elevation worship type <laughs> music at your church. They can't afford to lose you. They will go to the ends of the earth. Keep you on. But I did want to make yeah. the point that, you know, because it talks about 703 alleged abusers. That's not a lot. That's not a little. But. 
as we mentioned earlier, 47,000 plus churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. So obviously one abuser is too many. We're not going to make light of that. But um, we just want to make the point that you and your children, you know, in your church, were most likely never harmed by a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, so if you're looking at 703 pastors um, with probably a minimum of 90,000 total pastors, maybe more in the entire Southern Baptist Convention, that's 0.78% of all pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. And that's really, it's probably way more than we're probably talking about 90,000 pastors today. Over the course of 20 years, that could be 200,000 pastors. Now you're talking about 0.0%. So the odds are um, your pastor has never done this. You know, nobody in your church has ever committed these acts. Very few people were probably ever affected. So don't take this information and be like, I'm going to be leery of my pastor now. And I'm going to, you know, you're right to question. You're right to want to know who these people are. But just know your pastor is probably doing the right things. Um, probably being the man he thinks he needs to be, striving hard. This is a very mm-hmm. small percent of people that have ever served as a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. I think we don't realize like how many churches exist and in yeah. over 20 years, though, how many are there and then not more. Yeah, so, I mean, odds are your church is fine and the pastors that have served you and your family over the years have done the best they can to walk that narrow road. Not to say they all did, but this sort of sexual immorality type stuff by and large probably never affected you. So just, you know, don't be bitter towards your pastor because this report came out. Yeah. Um, you know, feel free to ask them about it, you know, what they knew about it and how, what sort of safeguards they've put in place. But just, yeah, I just wanted you guys to know that not to harbor ill will unnecessarily towards your pastor. So um, but this story, you know, it's sad for one thing, but I don't think that it's all that uncommon, I guess, in the world of business and you know, enterprises of this level. Um, now, this is obviously talking about the church, so maybe it's a little bit different there. Because, you know, we do have the church, right? That's the biblical body. Like, we are the church, you know, gathered together. But you see this Southern Baptist Convention and all these little conventions, and you just wonder, like, because of maybe fear, and you hear some of the stories about how the, the Southern Baptist Convention sort of came about. Like, was it fear of sort of losing that church in this country or becoming irrelevant so they needed you know like a a better way to advance the cause of christ than just what god gave us in his word um so then you know men in their human wisdom right they decide they need to do something to defend it something to promote it and russell moore even makes note of this in his article he says um those outside the SBC world cannot imagine the power of the mythology of the Café du Monde, um, the spot in the French Court of New Orleans where over beignets and coffee, two men, Paige Patterson and Paul Pressler, mapped out on a napkin how the convention could restore a commitment to the truth of the Bible and a faithfulness to its con- uh, confessional documents. So like in their mind, right, did the gospel need the Southern Baptist Convention? You know. And then 
So you do all that, right, to put this together for the cause of the gospel and got to defend it and you got to promote it and you got to come together as a group. But then it gets, you know, as time goes by, it gets bigger. More churches come along. You've got more money. Mm-hmm. You've got more members. Now all of your leaders are these men of esteem and they've got all these degrees and doctors and, um, you know, what once was like defenders of the faith sort of become aggressors in defending that faith. Um, it's almost like what we saw in 2008, the, you know, the system's so big, it's so profitable. Um, it's too big to fail at this point. So you have to do whatever you can, um, to defend it and make sure that it maintains its level of income and prosperity and all these sorts of things that you assume are going on rather than doing the right thing. You get sort of twisted into this idea that you've got to defend the convention at all costs, right? even to the point of sacrificing the sheep, the sheep and these (laughs) people that might have been really harmed by it. Um, you know, so yeah, you're wind up defending, you know, your own job, your own money, your own power and prestige rather than the gospel yeah. like you originally intended. So, right. you know, it's unique, I guess, in the fact that it happened to a church, but this isn't really unique in the vein of big business, you know, these global sort of point, conglomerates. Though, like the gospel doesn't Southern Baptist Convention order to spread. No, it needs godly men, godly women, teaching people in the way of the Lord. And um, I mean, sure, it helps, I guess. And that's why these churches join it, you know, pool your money together, do all there's benefits of it, to it, but it doesn't need it. it God needs has you to be, used it. God even wickedness for his purposes. God still uses it. Yeah. Through his efforts, but the end, God will get the glory. His work. Yeah, and I'm the sure this Southern isn't the end Baptist of the Southern Convention Baptist Convention. Doesn't get the glory. It's not going away. <laughs> but uh, one point that I did want to re- make on this report that I didn't like on page 135, it says, I don't know, find it right now, but it says, when a survivor of sexual abuse by a faith-based community member comes forward to leaders, the survivor believes that the leaders are in a position to help them and will be a source of help, spiritual guidance, and emotional healing. However, what they often receive are negative social reactions to disclosures, which can result in worsening symptoms of shame, depression, post-traumatic stress syndrome, disengagement from the faith community, and even suicide. And I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's often how they're received. That when Mm. people bring... So to me, it sounds like they're sort of just tossing all churches under the bus here. Being like, oh, well, you know, whenever you go up to these churches, most of the time they don't care about you. And I don't Mm. know that that's true. Um, And I would say the Southern Baptist Convention, 703 out of 200,000 pastors would say that that doesn't seem to be the case. So I'm just not a big fan of you sort of lumping all churches, all pastors into this. They don't really care about you and you might kill yourself like okay, well, maybe you're taking it a bit far there. Um, So not a big fan of that statement. Again, we didn't read through the whole report. And it is also worth noting, not trying to make any accusations here against any of these people, but it is worth noting with some of these pastors, the timeframe in which this is happening and coming about is 
the 2000s into the late 2010s, even into the 2020s when you got Me Too movements and all this sort of stuff. So who knows what they were thinking and really what they were coming up against. So I'm sure every incident is slightly different. Yeah. You don't know who may have initiated, you know, a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely interesting. I mean, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, it's sad to see, you know, the largest Protestant organization in the country coming under such shameful scrutiny, and you hate to see them um, potentially being, I don't know, sort of put to the put to the ringer, I guess, by what's most likely going to be a godless and secular news media. So certainly not a fan of seeing them bow and, you know, make or, you know, answer to demands by godless people. Um, But I do want to see them do what's right and hopefully fix all of this moving forward so this doesn't plague them any longer. But we would love to hear what you guys have to think about this story. Um, Even if you're not a Southern Baptist, Again, this is still a black eye for Christianity. For whatever that's worth, you may not care at all. You'd be right to be like, whatever, man. No. But just curious what you guys think. Let us know. Um, also mm-hmm. about the, uh, the Texas shooter. It's a horrific story. But before we get to our sermon recommendation, do you have any last thoughts on any of these topics? Well, just things we have to lift up prayer. And- and I'll just, just I'm judgmental. I know I can get judgmental and this one, but pray for all the pastors and the people who were used and people wouldn't be so upset and leave like that. That's yeah. what I'm thinking when these names come out. Like, I just pray that Satan wouldn't succeed in whatever he has planned and you know when you think about the worst things that happen with all the names coming out how they're just i just pray about about that that it would be revealed a discreet like but not in a way to just shame and get people all riled up i mean there needs to be shame in it but we don't need to do more harm than necessary is what i mean like what the media will do yeah they don't need to do it fast they need to do it right i think is the way to do it um i would say let this be a word of warning you know we're all liable to fall in this i'm a big fan of the mike pence um style of sort of leadership you know he got in a lot of trouble for saying he never goes out to dinner with a woman he's never alone in his office with a woman that's not his wife i think if you're a man in ministry or a woman in ministry some sort this is really good advice Mm -hmm. Don't put yourself in a situation where you can be, um, you know, led into a sinful thought process and decision, be led astray, be taken advantage of, any of that sort of thing. Put these safeguards in place to make sure that you don't go astray. Don't get yourself hemmed up. You know, you don't need to be the music minister that's calling for late night practice sessions with, you know, just the cute keyboardist at your, no, you don't need to do any of that. No. Stay far, far away from that, you know? Well, that, so. I think it was that pastor at the, the Cross Church in Pensacola that had their um, sermons on here before, but I think it was him saying that um, 
he doesn't instruct women um, because that's women's job is to instruct women. He says that's not his place. So as a pastor, he's like, if women need advice or counseling, he asks another woman to do it. Because it's not my job. Pastors aren't supposed to do that, but I will instruct someone. Yeah, I think someone. he made note that like he doesn't do like counseling sessions with right. women or one-on-one studies. No. And he's, you know, the Bible no, says that the older women in the church are supposed yes. to teach the younger women how to be. Yes, um, that's the verse he used. Yeah, and I think it's smart. I think God had put up safeguards and people don't like to hear that, especially secular uh, people that think, you know, the smoking hot girl and the smoking hot guy can just hang out together all night long watching. That's not real, right? That doesn't exist. Yeah. So you got to put safeguards in place and be okay with telling people up front. Yeah, we don't hug you know, the opposite sex when we come in here. We'll shake your hand or say hi, but we just have those safeguards in place. So I think that's yeah. important. Um, and we didn't have any news stories specifically for our deadly sins of the week because these ones were so sinful. So we've got our fill of wrath here and we've got our fill of lust um, from just these two stories. So that was our deadly sins of the week. And our sermon recommendation, we haven't recommended uh, one of our favorites here in a long time, Bodie Bauckham, but I thought it just sort of fit so perfectly with what we were talking about. And this sermon was on God's providence in the existence of evil. And I just think it's a good topic when you start talking about school shootings and this sort of stuff, and it can cause people to question their faith and have a lot of, you know, questions and not a lot of answers. So it's good to be reminded that God's not absent. Um, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean God's, um, God's caught off guard by it or, um, right. or that there isn't an answer to it. It just means we don't know it yet. So we got to go and find it. And Vody's a really good source to go and get some of that information you just don't understand. So uh, any last thing? All right, that is all we got for you guys this week. Make sure you come back Monday. We'll be having our daily devotionals. Um, Drop a like, subscribe, leave a review. We'd appreciate all that. But until next time, God bless.